at aren't perfect. And in this series, we've been taking a look at what God's direction is for real families like yours and mine. Um, If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to take out that gold sheet in your service folder so that uh, you're able to to follow along and, uh, and, uh, God willing, commit uh, God's word to your memory today. As some of you know, um, last summer my family uh, took a trip out to the Black Hills in South Dakota, and this was the first time we had ever been out there, so everything was a brand new experience, and uh, what made things even more exciting or more nerve-wracking, depending on my perspective or Carrie's, is that um, we had very, very little information about the place where we'd be staying. So there is a gentleman who has a real heart for ministry, and he purchased a ranch uh, near Rapid City um, for the express uh, purpose of being a blessing to pastors and their families. So if you're a pastor, you can go to this ranch, you can um, stay there very, very affordably, and to rest and to recharge, and that was kind of his whole vision behind this, this place. Well, because of that, and because it isn't a public place where anyone can go, he's intentionally kept any pictures and or information off of the internet. So, basically, most of what we knew was that we'd be staying in a six, uh, a cabin to sleep six, and that there was indoor plumbing. And that was about it. So, if you've ever driven out to the Black Hills, you know that it is further than you think when you take off, and it becomes even further when you stop at Wall Drug for a few hours. And so it's getting late into the evening, and we're tired, we're cranky and sick of driving in the car, and on top of all that, which really made Carrie very comfortable, is that we had no idea where we're going to sleep that night, and even if it would be restful. So I pulled the car over near where I thought this ranch that we had never seen before was supposed to be, and I saw some cabins out in a valley, and my first inkling and thought was, this can't be it. This is too nice. This is too picturesque, too amazing. Um, Here's a picture of the camp. Um, I'm now up on a bluff. There's the road that we pulled over on down towards the the top side of the, the picture. It's this beautiful little valley surrounded by the Black Hills. There's a a, a river that, you know, like the movie runs through it, and there's cabins, and and just beautiful. In fact, I, I was in awe of the surroundings. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the blessings that God has put in your life? If you have... How long has that overwhelming feeling lasted? There was a a family that lives full-time at the ranch. And uh, they're employed to take care of it, to be the caretakers. And, And I noticed that the way that I drove around uh, in and out of the, the area was much different than they did because I drove my car in and out of the, the ranch with my eyes up and my mouth open. And they drove their four-wheelers and their truck as they were doing repairs with their heads down looking at the road. 
And there's a good reason for that because it's better to drive your car looking at the road than up at the bluffs. I get that. But I think the other reason why that was the case is because they've become familiar. Hmm? They've become familiar with their surroundings. These blessings that are all around them, they, and we would be the same, have begun to take them for granted because they're familiar. Did you know that every blessing that God gives you day after day after day after day, you eventually become familiar with and take for granted? I cannot think of an exception. Even Jesus, God's son, huh? The greatest blessing there ever was. Every blessing that you receive from God, day after day after day after day, we eventually become familiar with and start to take for granted. I don't know anyone that you're with more than your family. And I think sometimes this very same thing can happen the people you call family. I remember when I first got married, and uh, we got married in the summer. I was working my job, my summer job at a, a lumber yard, and uh, I remember that first week thinking, life cannot get any better than this. Every afternoon, I get to go home to this pretty girl named Carrie, and not only do I get to go home and spend the the afternoon and evening with her, but most nights she even cooks for me, which is a whole lot better than the food that I was eating before I got married. And she's used her gifts so that my uh, apartment that was more like a guy's dorm room has actually now begun to feel like a home. Fourteen years later, Carrie continues to do all those things even better probably than she did when when 14 years ago and yet they've become familiar and on many days take them for granted maybe some of you when you got married all of a sudden in that moment no longer had to worry about how your yard looked no longer had to worry about making sure that everything was in working order in the home. And car repairs, you know, you just tell your spouse about them and they magically get fixed. And if you think back to how that felt when you first got married, it's pretty awesome to take that whole segment of your life off your plate, huh? But then we become familiar, we begin to take things for granted. Young people, can this happen to you? You go to the cupboard or the pantry or the refrigerator, and food is just magically there. And, you know, it's not your job to figure out how it gets there. It's just your job to eat it, right? And the laundry gets done, and vacations get paid for magically, and all these other things happen, and, and it's easy for that to become familiar and to take your family for granted. And, you know, I understand this becomes even easier for young people because they have no point of reference, no point of comparison. It's just always been that way since the day I was born. Your point of comparison comes when it came for me when you go out on your own and you figure out 
and see how much it really does cost and how much work it does take to live, so to speak, in the real world, right? And I realize that every family is different, and I realize that every family has unique challenges, some bigger than others, but I don't care whether your family is big or small. I don't care whether the family you have and the home you have is a bustling center of activity or you live in a home with a family that's very quiet as the family that you have lives across town or across the country. No matter what your family looks like, I want you to know and I want you to believe and I want you to understand what God says to you. That it's a blessing. That God has given you your family with all of its quirks and messiness and that it, God's plan, was intended to be a blessing how? Well, I think Scripture does a really good job of detailing this, and I think as we are people who can become familiar and take it for granted, it would be good for us to look at a few passages. First one I have up here is from Matthew, quoting Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. If you're blessed enough to be married, your spouse was intended, and I know this doesn't happen perfectly, we live in a sinful world, but your spouse was intended to be your very best friend. And if that person today you're feeling is not, I think you owe it to your marriage and you owe it to him or her to work on that until they are. Maybe you need to bring in a pastor. Maybe you need to bring in a counselor. But your spouse was intended to be the one person that you're one with and your very best friend and companion. What a blessing it is to have a husband or to have a wife. Here's another blessing. Psalm 127. We looked at this week one. Sons or children are a heritage. That's a word for a blessing, a gift from the Lord. Children, a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. If you're a warrior in battle, would you like arrows or arrows or no arrows? You want arrows, right? Are sons born in one's youth? Blessed is the man whose life is full of children. Blessed is the man, the person whose quiver is full of them. This is very countercultural. Now, I don't have that many kids. We have four. But when people ask, how big is your family? And I say, you know, we have four kids. More times than not, I get, wow, that's got to be difficult. That's got to be hard. I think people feel sorry for people with lots of children. I remember when Carrie was pregnant and we, we had three kids and she was pregnant with our fourth and we'd go out to the grocery store Inevitably, people would look at her with sympathetic eyes, and then they would look at me with eyes of anger, like, how could you? Our world, and sometimes even us, we don't always look at a full quiver of children as being a blessing. They are a blessing, whether by natural means or whether by adoption, however it is, children are a blessing. Next verse. Jason. 
children's children, so if it's your children's children, that would be your grandchildren, right? Are a crown to the aged. I do not know what happens when you have grandchildren, but people, like, they just totally change. Um, those grandparents, if you're a grandparent, you have totally changed because my parents act and, and react nothing like they did with me with their grandchildren. This is an inevitable truth, and I, I understand probably some of it is that there isn't the daily grind of, of being a parent that you can just enjoy those children. Isn't it true that they're a crown to you grandparents? And I don't know how a king treated his crown, but to make this comparison true, he, he must have let it stay up late, fed it lots of sugar, and spoiled it rotten, huh? Last verse. Kind of an all-encompassing verse for understanding the blessing. If anyone doesn't provide for his relative, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith <clears throat> and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are some pretty strong words at the end. This is more than just your immediate family. This is your extended family, those people you call relatives. Very strong words at the end. Do you know what the point Paul is making here? that your family is made up of people that should be some of the most important people in your life. And that there is a responsibility that you have to your family and that there is a responsibility and a love that they have for you. What Paul is saying is that family was created to be a blessing to the people who are a part of it. <clears throat> and no matter what hardship your family is going through, we all can find some person in our family to understand that it's a blessing. Some person in our family that is a blessing to us. But you know what happens? We become familiar. And we get better at pointing out the deficiencies of our families than rejoicing in the blessing that God intended them to be, imperfect as they might be. We become familiar, kind of like the surroundings of the Black Hills, as we are surrounded by these people that we are blessed to call family. And when that happens, when we become familiar, guess how your family feels? Overwhelmed and underappreciated at times. Have you ever felt that way in your family, overwhelmed and underappreciated? I think we all have. Today, our main section of scripture that we don't now have as much time to look at, but enough time to find the point, is going to give us a direction, an attitude that we will, an attitude that will go far for us as we live each day surrounded by the blessing of family and a question that helps us understand that attitude. So Jesus was at a dinner at the home of a religious leader. And as he was eating dinner, he noticed that uh, as people were coming in, instead of kind of taking more of the normal spots to sit, everyone as they came in were right away going towards the most honorable, the most, uh, the best seats. 
And as Jesus saw this, and likely as the Son of God also could kind of see what was going on in their hearts, he decided to teach them about the attitude that we should have as we interact with others, and today, applying that specifically to the family. We read from Luke chapter 14, verse 7 to start. When he noticed, Jesus did, how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he then told them this parable, this story. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, and they would have known this, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. So, very much like wedding receptions in our time, at a wedding there were places, high places of honor where people sat like the bride and the groom or the the parents of the bride and groom, and then there was, you know, where everyone else sat. He said, when you go to a wedding reception... Don't take the most honorable place. And they would have been like, of course not, very much like we would. Have you ever noticed if if you've been to a wedding and you weren't the bride or groom, that uh, there was never a line of people waiting to talk to you um, like they did, the bride and groom? Have you ever noticed that when you came in to the reception, no one got up and started clapping They just kind of kept eating. In the very same way, you understand that when you go to a wedding reception, um, even if the head table is open and no one's sitting there, you're not going to go and sit there, even if there's no name tags there, okay? You understand that's not where you should sit. That's where the people of honor sit. Um, If you got up to talk at the microphone, I would advise you not to tell stories about how you met your wife or husband and fell in love. It's not about us. Don't bring a video montage of pictures to show about your childhood and your wife's childhood. We would never do those things, right? Because we understand that at that time, in that room, on that day, those two people, even though they may not be more important than us, at the end of the day, on that day, they are. That we are okay to defer to them. To take what? To take the back seat on those days and to let them have the front seat. And what Jesus is teaching us is that we can and should do that all the time. He continues in verse 10. When you're invited, take the back seat. Take the lowest place so that when your host comes, He will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. In fact, and we can take this too far, but in fact what Jesus is saying is there is honor in being humble. There is honor from God in being humble. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The attitude that God exalts, as difficult as sometimes it may be, is the attitude that comes so difficult to us. That it's not about me, but that I'm willing to take the back seat so that the people 
in my family may have the front seat. That I am here to love and to serve in whatever way I can. And part of the problem in family sometimes is even as a mom or even as a dad, that sometimes we still are, are, are filled with that sin of selfishness. And we get naturally caught up and get used to taking the blessings of family for granted and, and think about how the family can be a blessing for me, whereas God encourages us to think about how we can be a blessing for them. What do you think would happen if every person in your family had this attitude? I'll take the back seat, you take the front seat. You take the position of honor, I'll take the position of humility. What do you think will happen? This is the very same thing that Jesus was talking about in Ephesians chapter 5, or Paul wrote about. Right after they, Paul writes, or right before Paul writes about the family, in verse 21 he says, Submit to one another. Put the other people's wishes, wants, and desires ahead of your own. Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. And because this is such a maybe intangible thing to think about, I would like you to take home just one question. If you forget everything else except the cross, that's the most important. But if you forget everything else, just remember this one question. You'll see it on the screen. This is the question that if we ask it of the people in our family every day, we'll get to the heart of what Jesus teaches about how we should interact with the blessing that is our family. And if we can apply it, we will take our family for granted less. What can I do to help? Now, this may be a hard question for you to ask, especially if you're a young person. So I thought we'd all say it together, okay? Then your parents can really hear that you can actually say those words, and, and wives, you can hear that your husband can actually say those words too, all right? So let's say it together. One, two, three. What can I do to help? That wasn't so hard, was it? What do you think will happen in our families if as we apply God's word from Luke chapter 14, if we would, as we apply it, ask this question every single day? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Young people, I, I know what will happen if you ask your parents. They'll fall over and they'll be speechless. They'll be so speechless that they probably won't be able to talk and tell you something to do to help. So you might as well just do it, right? And if you ask this question while their friends are over and then go up to your room, their friends are going to be like, oh, how do you do that? You are the essence of parenting. Can you teach me your ways? Your child just asked you, what can I do to help? Wives, what a great question to ask your husbands. And you already know how he'll probably answer, nothing, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But just for you to ask the question, you have nothing to lose, do you? You are showing your husband that you are there to love him and to serve him, to use your gifts 
to be a blessing in his life. And husbands, we so easily get distracted by career and job and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes the relationship that is most important, the one with our wife, we tend to put on the back burner and not give it the attention that it needs or, de- or deserves because, well, she's always there. What would happen if every morning before you went your separate ways, you just asked that question, what can I do to help you today, dear? Is there anything I can do? Do you think that would get to the attitude that Christ was asking for in his parable? To exalt or to raise up others and take the back seat? And, and parents, I know because I'm living it, that our default is tend to be negativity and directing do, don't, do, don't, do, don't, right? That kind of is just kind of what happens as a parent. But what would happen if once a day or a few times a week, you just took your child, children aside, one by one and said, you know, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? What a... What a blessing that would be. How much more would the people in our family understand that they're a blessing to you? And I know, again, this isn't easy. And young people, you're like, yeah, if I ask that question, I'm going to be having to pull weeds in the garden the rest of the day. I'm not going to try it. Whether you're a young person or an adult, I think it's good for us to go back to the the centerpiece of who you are, the centerpiece of your life, and it's not your family. It's your Savior. And I'd like to remind you of a verse that I read earlier from Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, you know what another way to think of powerless is? Um, When we needed help. At that moment, not later, not years later, when you realize what it takes to live on your own and become appreciative. At that time, when we needed help, Christ died for people who needed help. People who were ungodly. In this verse, even though Jesus didn't literally ask this question, I'm sure, In a very real sense, it's kind of like he did. He saw our sin. He saw how our sin destroyed um, not only our lives but our eternity. And it is like, it is as if Jesus asked himself, what can I do to help? And the only thing that he could do that would help was to give his life. And that's what he did. And he took the back seat. I remember in high school, shotgun was always the thing that all the kids tried to get, you know. We had all these elaborate rules around shotgun. You can't call it unless you're outside, you know. Does everyone know what shotgun is? Sitting next to the driver. I've never shot a gun before, so it wasn't that. We always wanted the front seat. Jesus came to this earth, and he was willing to take the back seat. He now sits on the seat, the throne of God. He's exalted. How great is our God, as we sang. But in humility, he came.
to live for us that we might be exalted forever in heaven. So as family, remember what a blessing it is the people around you. And as we rejoice in the sacrificial love of Christ, may we respond and apply that same sacrificial love to the people we call family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our families. Some days and some years, we spend way too much time picking out the challenges in our families and forgetting the blessings. Lord, thank you. And help me, help us every day to be a blessing to the people in our families. Help us ask the question, what can I do to help? As we willingly take the back seat so that we might be a blessing to them. Lord, uh, in our prayers today also, we remember Ellison Whaler, who will be baptized at our 11 o'clock service. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that will happen in her heart and ask you to guide and protect her all her days until she's with you forever in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name and continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.